5. As we journey through the book of Psalms on Wednesday night, Sunday we're in the book of Revelation. I encourage you to read ahead in chapter 13 for Sunday, more than two verses. <laughs> yeah, right. Come on, have just a wee bit of faith in me. Psalm 5. To the chief musician with flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord, and in the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell within you. For the boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all the workers of iniquity, and you shall destroy those who speak falsehood. For the Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy, and in fear of you will I worship towards your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies, and make your way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Notice their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Pronounce them guilty, O God, and let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out into the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. But let all those who rejoice, who put their trust in you, let them ever shout for joy, because you defend them. And let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous, and with favor you will surround him as with a shield. Let's let the offspring go by. So, how are you guys doing? <laughs> People listening to us online. Yes, we have an airport, right? Uh, the planes and military go right over us. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you again for this night. We thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that it would accomplish what your spirit would have for us, Lord, for encouragement and strengthening you, Lord. We love you, and we ask just for a sweet time tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you haven't figured this out, we started Psalm last week, right? We got to chapter four. That was pretty good. Uh, and so as we continue through, just as a reminder, uh, this is very Jewish in its writing, multiple writers, but for the majority of them, King David is the writer. It is filled with emotion, but that doesn't mean that we should allow emotion to dictate our walk with God. It should be a reason, uh, logically following the Lord. He says, come now, let us reason together in Isaiah but as you look through these psalms, I want you to, to note a couple of them. Uh, well, uh, how about 150 of them? But in our life, you're going to be in different places in your walk. Have you figured that out already? And there are times where, as we're going to see tonight, 
somebody that is backbiting, somebody has given you a false accusation like King David. And so you take these Psalms and you treasure them during those times in which you are going through. So as David is speaking, and listen, aren't we thankful that David was on the run from Saul? For years and years, I mean, I'm sure he's like, yeah, but I was living it. But we're thankful that he was able to write that and write his heart through these psalms by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we can get a tremendous amount of comfort from them. I don't know about you, but like uh, just reading this psalm about the wickedness and the unrighteous, David speaks it so well. Sometimes it's very hard for us to communicate things. Well, you can come right to God's word and just read it and go, yep, that's exactly what I'm thinking. And so David, from last week having family uh, tumult and troubles, Nathan the prophet said that the sword will never leave your house, David, because of his idolatry and the murder of Uriah the Hittite, him covering it up family problems, all of these things that are happening, let alone Absalom trying to usurp the authority of the king. And so that takes us into chapter 5. He says, Give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider my meditation. When he says give ear, it's like, Lord, uh, have you ever been talking with somebody and you really can't hear them very well? What do you do? Well, uh, you lean in. Thank you, Miss Anita. She's participating. I don't know what this side of the room is doing, but thank you. Now you kind of cup your ear. You try. You, you want to hear it better. Like I, I want to hear what you have to say. David is saying, "Lord, would you lean into my prayer?" Isn't that wonderful? Now they, David doesn't have to say that to the Lord for the Lord to do that. He intently already listens to us, and so David says, "Lord, would you just listen?" And consider my plea and my cry. Give heed to the voice of my cry. He'll mention that several times tonight. He says, my king and my God. Now, he is king of Israel. And yet he has, like everybody else, everybody has a boss. Amen. There is always somebody higher. And David, who is the king of Israel, says, no, you are my king and you are my God. He says, for to you I pray, notice nobody else, just to the Lord. He says, my voice you shall hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. David made it a point to pray in the morning. He did this because he wanted to honor God at the beginning of his day and set the tone for his entire day dedicated to God. Now, this is a great practice, not only to pray in the morning, but to read God's word in the morning so that you have what you need to get through this life that we are living on, this third rock from the sun that's crazier than anything. And so as you have this time with the Lord in the morning while it's quiet, have your coffee there, have whatever you need, just be still before the Lord. The world in which we live in is going a mile a minute. We're always pressed for time, 
Man, that clock dictates our entire life, doesn't it? Evil clock. God's outside of that time. But he wants us to have fellowship with him. Just as you want to have fellowship with those close to you. And so he says, my voice you shall hear in the morning. Um, I would encourage you, and I'm not one of these guys that, uh, you know, let's make a resolution to do this. But I would encourage you to hear David in his relationship with the Lord. And I would take pointers from him. Listen to what he does. Listen to his relationship. Listen how he goes about that. And listen, just duplicating that, I guarantee you, you're going to have a sweeter fellowship with God. Amen? So, my voice you shall hear in the morning. He says, O Lord, in the morning I will direct it to you. (laughs) Now, I could go off on something right now and anger a lot of people uh, in a certain city uh, known as the Vatican. They want you to direct your prayers to other people and other saints. David says, no, no, no. There's only one that we pray to. One. He says, for for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. Nor shall evil dwell in you. But the boastful shall not stand in your sight. And you hate all the workers of iniquity. And you shall destroy those who speak falsehood. And the Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful men. Continue to notice how David describes his enemies. He will do that for uh, pretty much the rest of his psalms. He will describe those who are coming against him. And notice what he does. He simply just gives it over to the Lord. Lord, this this is the problem. These are the people who are saying that. Would you please deal with them? Oh, and by the way, there is wickedness all around us. Why let that get to us? Remember last week, uh, to be angry and not to sin. It's important not to allow, it's so easy to allow that to affect your daily life, is it not? And David gives that over to the Lord. Notice that he says, but as for me, there's a contrast between the wicked and David. But as for me, I will come into your house and in the multitude of your mercy, in fear of you, I will worship towards your holy temple. Now, note with me that some people might uh, take um, an issue with the word house there and they say, see, this this has got to be false because there's no temple yet. And so why is David saying your house? Sometimes people's arguments in the Word of God, you know what the word also can be translated? Tabernacle. There's a tabernacle. So he says, your tabernacle, O Lord. But note, note what he says. He makes it a point to go into the house of the Lord. For our purposes, he makes it a point of take what is around to say, I'm going to go to church. I want to be around other believers so that we might worship you. Notice that he says, I will come into the house in a multitude of your mercy, in fear of you. Notice, I will worship towards your holy temple. In the fear of you, he says, I will worship you. David's worship isn't based here on his feelings, 
but on his reverence for a righteous and merciful God. Why do we serve God? Because he's due, he's worthy, he's worth it. That's where we get worship from, to lean into. And so because God is worth it, we're going to come and we're going to take time out of our day, every day, to bring forth praise to his name. Remember, it's not a Sunday, Wednesday thing. This is a 24-7, 365. You don't take days off, and when you go on vacation, you don't skip church. Find a church to go to. There are Calvaries all over the country. There are good churches all over. Go to church somewhere. You might be surprised. Get into the house of the Lord. He says, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. So as David is being bombarded by his enemies, again, it's real easy to allow that situation to encompass him. Yes? And he says, I don't want to do that. I want your grace and your mercy and your righteousness to envelop me so that I don't take on their their evilness as well. Because again, if someone comes after you, uh, what is the Sicilian way? Right? You, uh, our human abil- uh, our nature is to fight back. And David, time and time again, says, you know what? I'm going to let the Lord handle my enemies. Guys, I absolutely, not only do I agree with that, I think that is a healthy way of dealing with our enemies. Lord, you know my problem. You know my situation. I don't know about you, but I... I and I'm not trying to rush us through Revelation, but I'm getting really excited about Job. Anybody else getting excited? You're like, no, we're not done yet with Revelation. I want to know what happens at the end. (laughs) But Job is like that. Job allows the Lord to deal with his his friends, his so-called friends, which become his enemy. He allows God to deal with them, and God rebukes Job's Friends, he rebukes them. So let the Lord deal with our enemies. He says, um, what does he say? Oh, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Notice, and make your way straight before my face. Lord, reveal your path for me. Uh, isn't that just what everyone, every believer wants? We just, Lord, we want to drive down 501 and see, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy, this is what I want you to do this week. Wouldn't that be great? That'd be so easy. I want you to do this. But as we trust in the Lord and as we surrender more to him and we give more of this world away and our hearts get more and more aligned with the Lord, it, it starts to be a little bit easier to know what he wants for our life. And again, as you use God's word, he directs you in that. He says, for there is no faithfulness in their mouth, speaking of the enemies, and their inward part is destruction, (laughs) and their throat is an open tomb. It's dead, which means what comes out of their mouth is death, and they flatter with their tongue. He says, pronounce them guilty, O Lord. And I underline this. This doesn't mean you have to underline this, but I love what David says. He says, let them fall 
by their own counsel. Isn't that great? Because as we know that there is good godly counsel, we've already talked about that, and then there is earthly counsel, man, man's counsel, what man thinks is important and right. And we see that all around us. I'll tell you, what a great prayer to pray in 2021. Lord, just let them fall by their own kookiness. Right? Just We know it's, it's bonkers. And we know they hitched their wagon, wagon, wagon? Well, maybe. They, they hitched their wagon to all this craziness, right? People that they bring on their news network and now are in a penitentiary. And they put their stock in that person. And I just go, Lord, let them fall by their counsel. Their own, there is a book. I don't know if we have it. But it, it, uh, the book is using evolutionist words against them. And the, idea, the whole book is from a creationist standpoint. And all he does is quote evolutionists and what they've stated. And he goes, do you see how ridiculous those statements are? Listen, let them fall by their own counsel. He said, cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. Now, before we get all excited about David and speaking evil to everybody, we could also say that about us in that verse, can we not? For we have rebelled against you, Lord. Everybody in this room, maybe you think you're special right now. Everybody in this room has sinned against the Lord. For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in Jesus Christ, not only are we forgiven, right? And he forgets our sin. I was talking to somebody in between services on Sunday, and I said, to me, that is one of the most amazing qualities of God, that he knows everything and that he, in some way, chooses to not remember your sin. Isn't that wonderful? For they have rebelled against you. But let all those who rejoice put their trust in you and let them ever shout for joy because you defend them and let those also who love your name be joyful in you. Please note David here. I mean, we we went into his family a little bit last week. Pick up that message or watch that on YouTube if you, you missed it. All that what has David has gone through would we agree that he gets he might get a pass? Like you get to be Eeyore for a, a whole year. Poor me. King David. Everybody's against me. But he doesn't. How many years did Saul chase after him? How many years did he not sit on the throne that was rightfully his? How many years has his family been in turmoil? because of his sins and because of his life. And yet he says, but let those who rejoice put their trust in you and let them ever shout for joy. What does that mean? That means you don't get to stop bringing forth joy that the Lord has done this great work in our lives. He says, because you not only defend them, but also let those who love your name be joyful in you. We should be the most excited, happy people on planet Earth. I'm not saying from time to time you don't get bummed out. 
I'm just saying your overall life should be measured more in joy than it is in sorrow because of what Jesus has done for us and how little time we're going to spend on this third rock from the sun because the majority of our time is going to be spent in eternity and you're going to get a new body and it's going to be transformed. All of what we're about to go through, that's a reason to shout for joy. He says, for you, O Lord, you will bless the righteous, and with favor you will surround him with a shield. Psalm 6. David is staying in this theme of his enemies. He says, to the chief musician with the stringed instruments on an eight-stringed harp, a psalm of David. He says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. But have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled, for my soul is also greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, and deliver me. O save me from your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you, and in the grave who will give you thanks? For I am weary of my groaning, and all night I made make my bed swim. I drench my couch with tears, and my eyes waste away because of grief, and it grows, grows old because of all of my enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping, and the Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer, and let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled, and let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. So he's continuing this theme, but notice what he does here. He says, O oh Lord, do not rebuke me, verse 1, in your anger. Lord, don't. Now, let's pause a second. This is not how God deals with us. He chastens us like a father does a son. But listen to this. The difference between human fathers and our heavenly father is that God is not angry in when he disciplines us. Uh, the, the greatest mistake we do as fathers is we get angry because our kids are off the walls. Anyone else have any crazy kids? Nobody? A couple of them, thank you for being honest. Counseling happens, right? So you have this situation with this kid and your natural anger just rises up. And yet that is not how our Heavenly Father is. That's why people have a hard time dealing with God because they take their human father and they take those attributes and they put them on God and they go, well, this is what my experience is with my earthly father, so it must be that way with my heavenly father because church taught me forever that God is really angry at everybody. You know, one of the things that Martin Luther was really against was, was this angry God that the church was promoting at the time. People were terrified of God during Martin Luther's day. And he said, this is not the God of the Bible. 
We don't see this in the New Testament. And Martin Luther started to change the ideas of his day to a loving God, not somebody (laughs) that the church was promoting. I know you're shocked. They were selling fear. And fear in our world is a powerful thing. People will really will do really dumb things if they're afraid. I won't even get into it tonight. You know people right now. They are still afraid of something that 99.7% of people survive. And I'm not saying that every once in a while somebody that has it, it's really bad. But they have pre-existing conditions and they have other health issues. But we don't shut down the world for something like that. But when you create an, an atmosphere of fear, you can do anything you want. And you can control anybody you want. And David here, he comes and he says, Lord, don't chasten me. Don't spank me in your anger. Nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. But have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. He says, O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. So he could be having uh, some kind of infirmity at this moment. And by the way, just so you have some context, they believed in this day in the Old Testament that if you were sick, well, I'll as well as Jesus' day, I, I, I put that as well. If you were sick, it was, it was because some kind of sin in your life. Now, you take that in the New Testament, and Paul does say, listen, some of you have died because of sin. But for the majority of that, that's not it. You know, uh, people get sick every day. Do you know why? Because this is a fallen world. You know, the Bible says it rains on the just and on the unjust. People get the flu who are evil, and people who are good get the flu. Yes? Because we are living on a world that is fallen, not because of sin. Now, that could be, and it is possible. But David says, Lord, would you please take that away from me? Notice, hear David here. He goes, my soul is greatly troubled. How many of you have ever been in that situation? He's going to talk about crying on his bed. But he says, I mean, you can hear David. You can hear his emotion coming out of here. And notice that he says, Lord, how long? How long am I going through what I'm going through? Maybe you're sitting here tonight. Maybe you're listening to us on the radio and you're like, Lord, I agree with David. How long do I have to go through this? As long as the Lord wants you to go through it. And you have to be like Paul and be okay with that. Paul prayed that the Lord would remove the thorn in the flesh, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. And you know what he did? Okay. As tough as that is, and the rest of Paul's life, and whatever the infirmity was, was it malaria that he got? He couldn't see. His eyes were jumping. There's all kinds of ideas of what Paul was going through. But he was a mess. And I apologize that I keep bringing up Martin Luther. It's just the book I'm reading right now. 
It's like when I was reading Wilberforce. I brought him up a, a bunch. At the end of Martin Luther's life, he had huge health problems. Sometimes God allows that to buffet somebody and keep them humble. David ultimately is a humble man. But he just says something that we all echo. All right, but how long? He says, return, O Lord, and deliver me. He says, save me for your mercy's sake. For heaven's sake, Lord, heal me, save me. He says, for in death there is no remembrance of you. So this verse is one of these verses where it doesn't apply in the New Testament. Because David doesn't have all of the information. For the most part, the the Old Testament saints did not comprehend this idea of resurrection. That was not something they knew. Even though when Jesus talks to to Mary and Martha, she says, yes, Lord, we do know that in the end there will be a resurrection. But that's because Jesus is on the scene and is teaching them. But the whole death thing is a little cloudy to everybody in the Old Testament. And so you can see that clearly from David here. He says, for in death there is no remembrance of you. But Dave, that's not right. Because to be absent in the body is to be present in the Lord. Amen? Isn't that great news? No matter what happens to a family member in Christ, you know that when they breathe their last, they're looking at Jesus. It's great. That's great news. He says, in the grave, who will give you thanks? Nobody, because they're either in the temporary holding cell of Hades, or they are in heaven with Christ, giving praise to him. He says, I am weary with my groaning. Have you ever been so um, miserable in the situation that you have no words for it? You're just groaning? And notice that David says the Lord can interpret your groaning. Isn't that great? In the New Testament, it talks about groaning in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit knows what we're going through and talking about. And then he says, all night I made my bed swim. David and the situation, and you can understand this from a parent and all that he had went through at this point, that he breaks down in the middle of the night and he puts, he cries himself to sleep. Now do you know why these psalms are important for us? Because we can be going through this and Lord, take me to that psalm where David is crying all night long and let me be encouraged by the psalmist David. He says, I drench my couch with my tears. Notice he says, my eyes waste away because of grief. Now, no show of hands, but we have all, I would imagine everybody has gone through this, where you are so grief-stricken and that you have weeped so much that your body is just exhausted and you can't weep anymore and your body is just spent. This is where David is. He says... <laughs> My eyes waste away because of grief, and it grows old because of my enemies. And he brings back his enemies again, because ultimately that's the context of it. 
He says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Isn't it interesting that when we are on our lowest, the enemy comes out, uh, Job, right? Wouldn't Job just rather have a nice Boston cream pie and some iced tea from his friends? But no, he, they pile more grief on the guy. You're like, he's sitting on an ash heap, naked with a pot shearer, scraping the boils. And you want to pile more on the dude. <laughs> Great friends. He says, depart from me, all of you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. Isn't that wonderful, church, that God can interpret your weeping? Isn't that comforting? Even though you don't, he does. He says, let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled and let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. Psalm 7. Don't worry, we'll get to some perky psalms. <laughs> there, there are some bummer ones, and they can get you low. But there are some good ones as well. He said, a meditation of David, Psalm 7, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. Now, there is much debate on this, but we know that Saul is a Benjamite, and this is possibly David's nickname for him, Cush. He says, um, O Lord my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me. So this is a psalm for anybody, and I'm pretty sure we will all go through this. This is a psalm for those uh, uh, who have people bring in a false accusation against them, just like Saul against David. So what is it like to have someone, as the New Testament says, backbite or gossip against you, false accusation, malign you? What does that feel like? Well, David says, O Lord my God, in you I will put my trust. He continues this thought that the Lord is the one that's defending him, and he won't do it. He won't do it. Remember when David is in the cave with all of his, his buddies and Saul comes in the cave. I love how the Bible, to relieve himself. And his buddies are saying, the Lord has presented the opportunity for you to take out Saul, your enemy. God has done this. Go kill him. And you know what David says? He goes, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. Can I just say this? Uh, aside from all of David's failures and sin, he is by far one of the most amazing men in all the Bible. The restraint of this man. So he says, look, until God gives me the throne, I'm not touching the Lord's anointed. Now, he did cut off a little piece of his garment, right? And then he showed it to him and he says, listen, God has delivered you from my hand today. I could have taken you out, Saul. Now stop hunting me. He didn't. He continued. But David had restraint there. Why? Because this verse speaks to what David believed. 
that he would put his trust in God and God alone. He said, save me from all those who persecute me. He says, Lord, just deliver me. Lest they tear me like a lion, rent me into pieces while there is none to deliver. He says, O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is iniquity in my hands, and if I have repaid evil to him who is at peace with me, or have plundered my enemy with cause, then let the enemy pursue me, overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust, Selah. As we talked about last week, what do you think about that? Now, David does something that's good. He says, listen, I don't know everything. I can't remember everything. He said, if I did this against my enemy, if I am guilty of sin, he says, if there is iniquity, in my hand, then he says, allow my enemies to take vengeance upon me. <laughs> how, many, how many of you are willing to say that tonight? That's pretty good, isn't it? Now you know why we like David. King David's pretty amazing. He says, Lord, just search my heart. If I have erred, then deal with me. You know why I like that? Because he's like, Lord, if it's me, deal with me, and let's get it over with. Because this whole hunting me down for 25 years is getting a little old. (laughs) I like to go take a bath in the palace. He says, let my enemies pursue me and overtake me. Let them put me in jail. Let them trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust. Verse 6 says, Arise, O Lord, in your anger, (laughs) and lift up yourself because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded. So he says, if I've done something, allow them to, to take care of me. But if I haven't, again, much like Job, If I haven't, Lord, then deal with them and deal with them fast. Verse 7 says, So the congregation of the people shall surround you, and for their sake return on high. For the Lord shall judge the people. He says, Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness or my right on living and according to my integrity in me. How many of us would like that? Lord, judge me according to what I'm, what I'm doing in my life. I'm not sure we would all want that. I, I think we, we like the New Testament and being everything judged upon the cross. And yet David says, no, Lord, just judge it. Judge me according to my integrity. Again, say what you would about David and his failures, but he repented of the Lord. Here is a man who said, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. This is a man when he sinned, and he did sin, and he did blow it, he did repent, and he he draws close to God through that situation and his failure. He didn't let that failure define the rest of his life. Okay, nine. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. (laughs) But establish the just, for the righteous God tests 
the hearts and the minds. Please note that our God in heaven knows every thought that is coming from everybody, and he will take care of it at some point. Let the righteous judgment of God happen, and let us not deal with it. Better to have vengeance is mine, says the Lord, than vengeance is Ron says. That's not, who's, who am I compared to the creator of the universe? He says, my defense, verse 10, is of God, who saves the upright. He said, God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. And he does not turn back, and he will sharpen his sword, and he bends his bow, and it makes it ready. He also prepares himself the instruments of, the, of death and makes his arrows into fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. And he made a pit and he dug it out. And he has fallen into the ditch in which he made. He's going through, obviously, what the wickedness of the enemy is and of the unrighteous. I I love verse 15. He says, he has made a pit and dug it out, and then he falls into the ditch and digging a hole he can't get out of. Yes? Just digging it deeper and deeper and deeper. His troubles shall uh, return upon his own head, and his violent dealings shall come down on his own crown his own head. But I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Most High. So always, as David does, in contrast, this is what they're doing, but I am going to praise the Lord according to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the uh, the Lord Most High. That is a perfect verse for us in the time in which we're living. Lord, it's crazy in this world, but I'm going to praise you. The nuttiness that's going on out there, but I'm going to praise you. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Last psalm tonight, Psalm 8. To the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, a psalm of David O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. I told you we were going to get perky. This is what David does. David breaks out in an entire psalm about the majesty and the wonderfulness of God. Could I encourage you to bookmark or note this psalm? Because at whatever is happening in your life, you got to pause, get out of the crazy, and just praise God for who he is and what he has done. This is one of those psalms. Mark it, note it, highlight it, whatever you need. You're like, I need some. Let's go to Psalm 8. He says, O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, 
you have ordained strength, and because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. I love how David says, even little kids sing your praise. You give them the strength to sing your praise. I should bring Alec up and have him tell us all about VBS. But isn't it wonderful when these kids talk about Jesus? And they're having fun and they're having sugary snacks. <laughs> the parents aren't excited about the sugary snacks. But they're, all, they, they just have, they're having a wonderful time. Guys, you know what I love? I, and I know I mentioned this before, but they're having fun at church. But it's not just fun. It's tied to the Bible. So fun is good, but as long as the Bible is there, so the kids know why they are doing what they are doing. So out of the mouth of babes. Verse 3 says, When I considered your heavens, think about this, David sitting on the top of his roof there in Jerusalem, maybe it's a warm summer night. All the stars are out. By the way, I would love to have seen what stars look like without pollution. And so he's sitting there. He may, he just, maybe he's in his recliner. I don't know what he's doing. But he says, I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. So as David, David just looks into the heaven, he goes, I, I can't believe that your fingers. The Bible says the universe is in the span of his hand. I was reading something recently, and I don't know who came up with this, so it really doesn't matter. But they said, in order to travel from one end of the universe to the other end of the universe at light speed, at warp speed, whatever Star Wars, Star Trek analogy you want to use, light speed, it would take 40 billion years. Now, who has got that much time on their hand that they're figuring that out, that they even know that? But let's just give them that. And the Bible says that's in the span of his hand. Doesn't that blow your mind? I personally, I love, I come in at five in the morning on Sunday, and for the most part, uh, I get to see, you know, the stars, I get to see the planets, um, I have this cool app that I'm like, hey, what's that? I just pointed at it, it tells me exactly what it is, and then it's got this cool mood music behind it. It seems very... Uh, very Star Trek-y, and it, I am, I, I blow, if I see Mars every Sunday, I'm still amazed how wonderful and how bright and how, and when you see the moon, I love when, when the moon is out and it's close to us and it looks huge. I've seen that moon a million times. Same thing, same crater. It's amazing. David says, I considered it, and it blew my mind. He says, what is man that you're mindful of? So he looks at the universe, and he goes, you've created this, and then you created us. And he created us to have a vantage point that we can see this universe. One of the best DVDs or videos you'll ever watch is The Privileged Planet. We have it out there was an atheist astronomer who came, I, I don't know if he's a believer, but he came finally to a creationist view. 
that there must have been a creator. And he got there slowly, but he got there. And he, he, he just shows how this universe and where we are in our spiral galaxy is perfectly viewed because if we were off one or two degrees, it would have been cloudy and you couldn't see. I mean, universe cloudy. But we're right in a place. He says, why are we perfectly in a place that we can see millions upon millions of light years away? Why is it that we are where we are? What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Notice how he describes man. For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Now, the New Testament ascribes this to Christ, but it also applies to man, that we have been made in God's image lower than the angels. And we've crowned him with glory and honor. And you have made him a dominion over the works of your hands. Adam, go and subdue. Noah, go and subdue. Man is the top, not animal. And listen, I love whales. Maybe I love a spotted owl every once in a while. But man is the dominant on planet Earth. We are made in the image of God, not a whale. I love a horse, but not over a man. But Romans 1 says that man worshiped the creation rather than the creator, which is blessed forevermore. Man flips that because when, you're, when you lose God and you go into an evolutionary worldview, then you start worshiping the planet and that we have to take care of the planet because the planet's dying because of us. It's a pretty big planet. It's amazing that this world fixes itself. Guys, uh, I'm not going to get off this topic, but just remember from the 70s and 80s, does, does anybody remember that we were killing the earth in the giant ozone hole? Anybody remember that? Where's that? Do you see my point? There's always something that they're trying to freak everybody out about. And it was the ozone. In the 70s, it was global cooling. The earth is cooling. How did it change so fast from cooling to warming? But it's not warming, it's climate change now. So no matter what happens, it's, it's man that's doing it. Man is not doing it. The earth, we don't even know what the temperature was in 1080. Do you know that they used to grow grapes in England? It was so warm. It's recorded. Well, you, you don't do that now. Because it's a different temperature. Our planet has cycles. We've had ice ages. We've had different... It's not man. And that's the arrogance of man to think, Oh, I gotta go. go." It's... How arrogant is man to think that he can do that? I'm not saying there's not isolated issues where we can muck stuff up because we do a really good job of mucking stuff up but not on a planetary scale. I told you I was going to leave it. My mind just goes and goes of all these articles I read. All right. All sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field. Look at that. He's telling us our dinner list. (laughs) The birds of the air, (laughs) the fish of the sea that pass through the pass of the sea. 
Um, as we go through the book of Psalms, you're going to find that there is science through the book of Psalms, like there is in, in a lot of the, the books of the Bible. And I'm going to try to note them when we get to them. This is one of them. There are paths in the seas. Now, there was, and I, uh, you're just going to have to forgive me. I forget the guy's name, but he was a naval officer. And uh, at some point in man's history, we didn't know that there were currents in the sea like we know now. But this naval officer was reading this psalm. And he realized, hey, there's got, I mean, the Bible says there's paths in the sea. Guys, do you know we live in South Carolina? Have you, anybody? And right outside are, well, about three miles is a big ocean. And there is a, a, a jet stream on, in the water that brings warm water up all the way on the Atlantic coast. It goes past Iceland and dumps down past Ireland and England. If it wasn't that way, Ireland and England would be frozen. But it, enough of that warm water eventually reaches them, and then it comes down. In California, on the Pacific, it goes from the top of Alaska and drops down, and that all that cold, wonderful nutrient goes all the way down, down California, and it feeds all of the, the marine animals. There are paths in the sea, but man didn't know that until just recently there is so when we hear people say the bible is not a book of science we got it figured out before they did and it's all through here and we're going to point out because creationist science that's what we believe in biblical science right here that pass they path pass through the pass of the sea. So these currents that go through this planet, all the way around the planet. He says, oh Lord, oh Lord. And then he, I mean, how do you contemplate creation and all that without saying, oh Lord, oh Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. To give you praise at the end, Lord, that you created us, you gave us dominion over that wonderful menu right there. And that you even showed us what you did for man so that parts of different continents wouldn't freeze. Or parts of areas would be just rich with plankton and fish and all kinds of wonderful things. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Read ahead, Lord willing, for next week as we continue in the book of Psalms. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your servant David with all of his failures, Lord, all of his troubles, and yet his heart to you, to cry out to you, to, re to restore that fellowship once again. That we too, Lord, wherever we are and the sins that we have committed that have caused us to be distant from you, that we, Lord, would repent and cry out for a healing touch. And so, Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you that it heals us. Thank you that it guides us in all areas of our life, that it comforts us, Lord. 
and restores our spirit. Thank you again, Lord, for those serving in youth ministry and children's ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.